closer, is that okay? I do spit a bit, so watch out on the front row. I know Justin from uh, Youth Work Days as well, so it's great. It's so lovely actually to be here and see a few friends and faces uh, of people um, that we've tracked through the years, which is a really beautiful thing, and great to meet some of you as well for the first time, um, which is good. One of the things I do, obviously, as you heard before, is the Leadership College London, and um, we, we've been doing that since... Well, we're about to enter our fourth one-year cohort. So we run a range of courses, but we're open applications for September. So do look into that. Talk to the guys who just spoke about it and others who are here. Mark's done it as well. He's up on the sound desk. Um, and uh, that's a one-year course designed to go alongside your busy working life uh, and all the demands you have here in London, uh, but designed to support you as a 20- or 30-year-old who's emerging, and some of you emerged very much into career, but working out what does it look like for me to put my faith into action and to live in an intentional way way where I can lead a highly impactful life in politics, education, arts, media, wherever it is you're called to work, um, and this mix of psychology, theology, and leadership, consultancy, and work um, to help design that and strengthen that in you so that you live out that life wherever it is God's called you to be. So do look at that, um, um, leadershipcollegelondon.org, and uh, we have people come from all different churches across London and beyond, actually, as from as far as kind of... Um, uh, Bournemouth and some from Brighton, Hastings, um, up in Norwich as well. So some of the network churches in the HB network are also involved as well as other churches um, that have shown interest and want to be part of it. So do check that out if you like to. So we're going to talk a bit about that this evening around really <coughs> what will it take for you to lead into the future and whether that's something you actually want to do or not. What is it that's going to take from you in order to do that? Whatever stage of life you're at, what do you dream of for the next step? What do you dream of for your future? Are there dreams that are going around in your head? And what's your part in that? And how are you going to get there? What does that actually look like? Some of you are totally in that space and you're dreaming, as the greatest showman would say, you're dreaming a million dreams, keeping you awake at night, and you're kind of living, this, living breathing this sense of like, I want to do this, I want to make that happen, I'm passionate about this, and I've got lots of ideas. And you're just going, you're gunning for it, and you're living out a sense of what might come. And maybe that's exciting you. So there'll be some of you here who are totally in that bracket. And some of you also might be in a place of like, I've no idea what the future holds. I've no idea how I'm going to make an impact, whether I'm even called to make an impact. And actually, quite frankly, I feel distant. I'm struggling. I can't work out my place in this crazy city, and I just want to check out. And there's likely to be people anywhere between those two polar ends sitting in the room this morning, uh, this evening. But you know, God does have a plan for you, and he's got an intention for you, a calling over your life. In fact, we'd go as far as saying, um, in terms of leadership thinking, that actually, if you've already chosen to follow Jesus, which many of you will have done, some of you may not have done that yet, but those of you who have chosen to do that, let me, into, let me let you into a secret, that in that process, you have signed up to lead. In that process of saying, yes, I want to follow Jesus. Yes, I want to give my heart to him. Yes, I want to, I want to work out what it looks like in the kind of the mess of every day, in the kind of the buzz of the city and work this out. I want to work out what it looks like to follow Jesus. If you've said that to him and you've committed your heart to that, you've also committed yourself to lead. The reason for that and the reason that discipleship and leadership go hand in hand is because when Jesus calls you to follow him, it's not with some passive backseat role. It's with an active engagement where he called you into the fullness of life. Where he says to you, come follow me and I will teach you to become fishers of people. I want you, in other words, to do the things that I did and I am doing. 
So it's not just what he has done in terms of what we read in Scripture, but it's what he's doing right now. And he invites you to partner with him in the bringing about of his kingdom in all spheres of society, shaping culture and molding the world around us so that his name may be lifted high. And so you might think, well, if we're all called to lead, where are the followers then? Because didn't he say, follow me? Well, actually, followership and leadership are not polar ends. They're not different ends of, of a scale. They are actually interplaying all the time. The best leaders in the world are also the best followers. In fact, the best distinctively Christian leaders are expert followers of Jesus. And they're interplaying in that all the time. They're choosing to follow him. And as they follow him, they're then saying, and use me, Lord, in order that I might administer your love, your grace, your peace. In order that I might carry your presence into my office, into my classroom, into my street, into my neighborhood. I want to carry you wherever I go. Because as you learn to follow, he's going to pour out his gifts into you and call you to bring about the fullness of his purposes. Now that's an exciting dynamic, but it still might be a reality that some of you are full of that vision and excited about it. And as I'm saying it, you're going, yes, yeah, I want that. I know that some of you are because you're giving me the body language of like, yeah, I like that. You're smiling at me going, yeah, that's what it's about. I've stepped up into this. And, and some of you also giving me the body language are a bit like, I'm exhausted. This following Jesus, I, I can't now lead and influence everywhere I go. So how do I even begin to step towards that? And that's a great and legitimate question that's a brilliant question to bring right into the room tonight. My prayer is that as we engage in this and we look at a few uh, verses from Scripture that we get a chance to pray tonight and invite the power of the Spirit of God to flood you with His presence again. To take off the burden of that call and make the yoke easy and light and a joy. That's going to be our prayer. And if you... Do feel the stretch and the stresses of a busy world and a crazy city where you're trying to make an impact and you're working out what that really looks like. You're in good company with the Apostle Paul. And uh, Liz has already said we're going to look at um, Galatians. And uh, so if you want to grab a Bible near you, we're going to get to the verses in a minute. I'm going to tell you a little story first. But then we're going to have a, a read in Galatians chapter 1. So you can dial that up if you want to on your device or in, in one of the actual real Bibles. You know, the proper ones actually exist here, not just the devices. It's great. And... Um, we're going to look at that because, I just, let me just speak into that context for a start. Um, some of the letters in Paul are kind of just full of joy and they're like, okay, this is great and this is good and well done, you're going for it. And some of them are bringing some teaching, some correction, and, and Galatians is one of those. Galatians is a context that's actually pretty complex for Paul. Here's a leader who, who wants to make a difference in the world, who's, who's sought to give himself to planting churches, to making things happen, to proclaiming who Jesus is, trying to impact in environments where no one's ever heard of Jesus and no one's ever walking near to him. They don't even know the story, let alone actually whether they're disengaged or not. They've got no idea. He's starting from scratch in all that he's about. The most phenomenal leader, really, as you study Paul. And as we get this, this letter to the Galatians, Paul is writing to them at a time where something began and he was able to minister into the Galatians, start a church, things were going well and up comes this church and things are moving on. But then all kinds of complexities begin to emerge. As people come in and teach different things to what Paul was teaching, as some people come and even question Paul's leadership and influence and even say, should he be leading and influencing you? Is it really right what he said? And actually, there are a whole load of layers that he didn't even talk about. So when, G when Paul had preached the gospel of Jesus as a gospel of grace, where we might come to know him because of all that he's done, an open invitation that, that all might come to know him, Jews and Gentiles alike, 
Some are saying, no, 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 hold on a sec. There's a whole load of layers and there's a whole load of practices and rituals that you need to go through if you really want to follow this Jesus. And so there's all kinds of different teachings coming in and there's a whole load of stuff about circumcision that gets interesting in, in Galatians. We're not reading that tonight. You'll be pleased. So that's good. And then, and then various other things. And one of the famous verses that comes out of Galatians is where Paul says to the Galatians, who's cut in on you? Who slowed you down? Who stopped you? Who's got into your tracks? Who stopped you leading, influencing, transforming the city? Who's done that? It's almost this admonishing and this discipline that he wants to bring. But rewind from that and you get a sense in which it was a pretty tough call for Paul, wasn't it? Pouring himself out, sacrificing a whole bunch of stuff in his following of Jesus. And then once something starts, it's still got questions around it. It's still hard. It's not easy. And that's the reality for some of us here. Whilst we might think of Paul like the great church planter who we celebrate now and has written much of the New Testament. Wow. We also need to recognize the tough, gritty, day in, day out, hard stuff that Paul faced as he sought to lead and influence in his following of Jesus. When I was just praying about stepping into um, paid ministry, kind of working for the church full time. I was teaching before. I loved teaching. I really wanted to continue teaching. I'm passionate about teaching. I'd be happy to go back to teaching. It was really great. I've got plenty of really wonderful um, memories. And uh, if it all goes wrong in the church, I wouldn't mind going back to teaching tomorrow. In fact, I'd be relieved in some senses. I loved it. But I felt like God was laying on my heart the need to minister from within the church, which a few of you have sensed that calling here, others of you have sensed your calling into teaching or wherever else as well. Wherever you're called to be, it doesn't matter about it being the church. But I remember praying about that, saying, God, will you speak to me? God, will you speak to me? And I, at the time, I didn't really particularly hear God's voice very clearly. I struggled to kind of really get the whole kind of prophet, prophetic stuff and, you know, how did I really know what God was saying? And I was grappling away. This is kind of 22, 23. And um, so I was asking God, God, Teach me to hear your voice. And secondly, teach me about things I need to know if I'm going to go into full-time paid work within the church. And uh, I remember one particularly sat particular Saturday. Um, I prayed that prayer in the morning because I was praying every single day that God would speak to me. And I was praying every single day that he'd help me understand the sense of calling I was beginning to emerge into. And um, it was all very vague on all fronts. So it wasn't like a spectacular time in my prayer life especially. But I remember I woke up on that Saturday and that evening at our school where I was teaching, uh, there was a big kind of PTA ball and they'd thrown this big party and uh, the film Moulin Rouge had come out recently. And so they'd, they'd put the theme of the, the ball, the Moulin Rouge. And so I thought, you know, does anyone remember the Moulin Rouge? We got any memories here? Yeah, a few of you, okay. It is a great film as well, really great. Two references to films already, Greatest Showman and Moulin Rouge. I'll see if I can get a third one in somewhere. But anyway, Moulin Rouge. And, um, and I thought, do you know what? I, I want to go as Ewan McGregor because like, he's the cool kind of character and all of that and in Moulin Rouge he wears these kind of evening tails that sort of come down here cut across here so I thought I'll, I'll, I'll just get some of those and it was happening that evening and I'd got nothing to wear in this fancy dress ball and the teachers were expected to turn out like with the best kind of fancy dress so I was feeling the pressure slightly and um, I was living just outside Exeter near Exmouth and Exmouth anyone who ever been to Exmouth you will know that there are uh, lots of charity shops in Exmouth in fact at the time when I was there there were 14 of them in a very small population uh, but uh, I thought 
there's bound to be a set of tails in one of these charity shops. It's got to be. So I got up really early. I thought, I'm going to get out, sort this out, because actually if this goes wrong, I'm going to have to go into Exeter and kind of go to Moss Bros and hire something, and it will be really expensive, and I want to resist doing that if I can. I wonder how much they cost, all those questions. So I went down in my car, parked outside um, the first charity shop, and I just thought, right, I'll go in here. And as I stepped out onto the pavement, I just sensed God speak to me. Now, again, I want to stress, this is not something I sensed often at that time. It was uh, very whispery. It was not a great sense of like real clarity, but I sensed God say to me, the tales you want are in this charity shop, but I want you to go to every other charity shop in Exmouth before you go into this one. You know, and of course I did what I'm sure all of you are thinking right now. Well, that sounds stupid. Just go into the shop if they're there. Just go and do it, right? And I just thought, oh, I don't, oh, no, I'll just go in it. Well, no, that's just definitely me. I'm just definitely thinking this. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. This can't be God. Why would God be speaking to me about some tales? And why would he tell me on this merry dance around Exmouth? Well, I can just go into this shop and get them. Like, I was getting all cross about it. But then I just thought, well, do you know what? I'm praying that God would speak to me more. I want to try this. Like, if this is God, why don't I test this? And maybe he's going to build my faith through that process. So I thought, right, I'll leave the car here. I've got one hour on the, on the parking meter. I'm going to do all 14 shots in one hour. And off I went. And as I was traveling to the first one, um, I went in. I went to the counter. And there were two ladies behind the counter. And they were serving. I said, hi there. Do you have, um, by any chance, do you have any um, like evening tails? You know, the ones that are cut across here. You know, it looks more like a butler. They've got like the long, long, they've got evening tails. And they both just looked at me and went, uh, no, you, no, we've never had it. I've never seen, I've worked, I've been in volunteering in this shop for years. I've never seen those ever come into the shop. You'll never get something like that. It's never going to happen. And I walked out of the shop and as I stepped out of the threshold, I sensed God speak to me again. And I said, and, and I, uh, this is what I think God said to me. I said, God said, um, I'm calling you to lead in the church. And some of the things I'm calling you to do, people will say is impossible, is never going to happen. But when you hear that, just keep going, just keep going. I thought, okay, that's fascinating. Um, I went into the next one, which is only a few yards away. It's not a big place, Exmouth. So I go a few more yards down the road, next charity shop. I walk into the charity shop. I ask the same question to the person on the counter. This person just laughs at me. They laugh at me. Um, and then they also say, you'll never find it. And they're just in hysterics. They think it's hilarious. At least the first, the first um, two ladies were nice to me. This, these, these guys were laughing at me. So I walked out of the threshold and I stepped out of the threshold. I felt like God speak to me again. And I, he, he said to me, um, some of the things you, um, I'm going to call you to do, people will think is ridiculous and they will laugh at you, but just keep going. I carried on around these shops and in every shop I had a different sense and a different encounter and felt like God speaking to me, almost building something in me about what would be needed to, to take it if I was going to step into what I sensed he was calling me to. Uh, there were a couple of, I'll just tell you one or two more because there were a couple of bizarre ones. This is a really crazy one. I, um, I went to another, another one that was really tucked away down a back street, and it was like so cluttered, you wouldn't be able to find anything even if you tried anyway. So I just thought, there's no hope in here. So I walked in, and there's, again, one little old lady sat, sat at the desk. She's writing in her book. So I walked up to her, and she didn't stop and look up at me or anything. She just carried on writing. So I waited for a moment. Didn't, no response. So I thought, well, I'll just speak. Maybe she can't hear very well, so I'll just speak a bit loudly and realize, you know, hope she doesn't jump too much when I speak. So I say, hi there, I'm, just, I'm on the hunt for some evening tales. Have you got any in your charity shop? And she just went, oh, no, 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 none of those, none of those. But I do have a friend who runs a fancy dress uh, shop out of his garage. And, um, and I'm sure he'll have some. 
And I just, by this time, I was thinking, I'm starting to panic because everyone says it's never going to happen. And they're laughing at me and they're kind of pushing me out of their shops and this is all going crazy. So I'm thinking, well, that will do. Perfect. So I said, well, that sounds amazing. If, you know, would it be possible to have his contact details? She goes, yes, 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 I'll give them to you. I said, great, brilliant, thank you. She looked down at her book, she carried on writing. And I, I kid you not, I waited for about two minutes and there was still no contact details. And it's almost like she'd forgotten I was there. And uh, so I just interrupted her again and said, is it okay to have the contact details? And she said, yes, yes, of course. And looked down and carried on writing. And she didn't give me anything. And this was a really bizarre experience. I then started walking away and I sort of knocked a few things to make a sound of clutter like, I'm leaving the shop now. Are you going to give me the details? She didn't give me that, anything. She didn't even look up again. I walked out of the door and I sensed God say, as you step into the call I have for you, some people will make promises to you that they don't deliver on. When they do that, just keep going. Do you know that's been absolutely true? All of those things have been absolutely true. I learned so much on that merry walk around Exmouth. It stayed with me all these years in a very, very powerful way. Um, and I'll come back to the story a little bit later to find out whether I get them or not. I'm going to keep you hanging. It's a cliffhanger. But how do we then just keep going? All of those ideas and things that God was speaking to me are absolutely true. And right here in Galatians, we picked something up from Paul about some of the clarity. And I want to just draw out a couple of things for us from what he speaks into this difficult, complex situation where he's trying to lead an influence, but it's not always straightforward. What is it that he says? Let's have a look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 11 to 16. And then we're going to jump to Galatians 6, verses 7 to 10. So we're going to take two little bits from here. And I'm going to welcome Sam, who's interning with One Life, to come and read this for us. I'm afraid he's got a Scottish accent, so you need to tune in to be able to understand it. Okay. But we love it. Go for it. I'll read from here. Um, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being. And then jump to Galatians 6. Do not be deceived. Well, I'll give you a second. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will receive eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have, the, have opportunity, let us do good to all people especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Sam. So, of course, there's so much in here, but I just wanted to give you a flavor from the beginning, the opening chapter of Galatians, a flavor from the end of some of the things that Paul's speaking to in this challenge of the call that he's seeking to, perceive, uh, to, to pursue. 
So here are the three things that I want to just draw out. The first thing that Paul really leans into when he's facing the challenge of what it looks like to influence and lead so that he can continue to do that, so that he can grow in his ability to lead in what he's been called to do is this. It's authority. Paul absolutely knows the authority that he carries. As people are challenging and talking about what's been going on in the Galatians, they're, they're even beginning, some of the people who are teaching there were beginning to question, who is this Paul? And does he have the authority anyway? He calls himself an apostle. Is he actually an apostle or not? And so one of the first questions Paul is answering right here in the Galatians is, I'm an apostle because I met with the living Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. He commissioned me personally. This wasn't even through some human interaction. This was God who commissioned me. And so Paul is absolutely convinced of the authority that he has. Absolutely convinced. Now, you might have all kinds of theological thinking about um, apostles and what that means. And are apostles alive today? What's that look like? I think there are definitely capital A apostles, as in the apostles that were walking with Jesus, uh, living with Jesus, who saw him as that was part of their credentials. They lived, walked, and were witnesses to the risen Lord Jesus. And Paul included himself in that capital A because he witnessed the living, risen Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus. And so they were capital A apostles. I think still today there are people who are called to be apostolic. Maybe not that capital A, but there's a gifting within which God wants to send people. To be an apostle, apostle literally means to be a messenger, a sent one, a sent one with a message. So essentially God calls us on a mission with a message to operate apostolically. And some of you may think that's a primary gift, but this is not that talk, so we'll talk about that another time. But God commissioned Paul and he absolutely knew even when there were questions, even when there were doubts from other people about who he was, what he stood for, he knew the authority he had and what he walked in. Here's the question. Do you walk in authority? Are you walking in the authority of God in what he's called you to do? And that's not just reserved for somebody working out whether they're called to be in the church or not. That is absolutely for you who are in your offices, building your careers wherever they might be, in the marketing agency, in the charity, whatever it is, are you walking in an authority that God gives you? Do you know, when we can be absolutely sure that God is with us, that he's commissioning us, and that he's sending us with his message, you will walk with a greater strength. Not because of who you are, but because of who goes with you. His presence going with you. Are you walking in the reality of that authority today? I had the privilege of being in the city earlier this week. I went to um, speak to a kind of prayer group that gathers in Barclays Bank. I loved it. We were up on kind of, you know, way up in these skyscrapers looking over the entire city. And there's a group of um, believers who gather together, who pray every two weeks just to stand with each other, to be with each other. And as our conversation continued and developed, we began talking about this sense of authority. And a few of them were almost wilting under that and going, do you know what? That's what I really need. This is so complex and so difficult sometimes. In fact, one of them said, I've been up in the night talking to my wife saying, I don't know if I should be here anymore. It's too difficult. It's too hard to stand in this place with all the questions and the pace of the city and all the things that are going on. And some of which I really agree with and some of which I've got lots of questions about the ethics and even the morality of some of these decisions. I've been up in the night thinking that through. And as we prayed together that morning, there was this infilling of the Spirit. And for him, he described it. It's like, I need to absolutely walk in the authority Jesus has given me to be in this place and to be his light right here in the city. 
And I encourage them all to walk out of that place, standing tall that day as a prophetic sign, not as some kind of power play with their kind of strong stance or something, but actually to walk tall with a sense of, do you know what? God's called me to be here and I'm going to walk these streets because he's ordained me and given me authority in his name to influence and transform. Do you believe that he's got that authority for you because he absolutely has and he invites you to step into it tonight? The second thing is this. The second clarity that Paul has after a sense of his authority is a clarity and a sense of his calling. I've already mentioned that word a few times and we talked about it as people were um, uh, talking about it. Christy talking about her calling almost like relaxing into that which is a beautiful way of putting it in terms of the lack of striving then for like what am I meant to do but we can all get caught in that can't we and even amongst the questions and people questioning Paul's authority questioning whether Paul should have done that Paul made it clear I have an absolute call from God and what was the call it's listed right there in that chapter one to preach the gospel to the Gentiles this was a call that others had not carried until this point Paul was this great sent one, this messenger who absolutely got a passion with the authority of Jesus behind him to declare this story and the reality and the power of Jesus into a context that no one else was doing. He saw it. He knew what Jesus was up to and he went with it. Jesus called him to speak his name even amongst the Gentiles. Until this time, there was a strong sense that, you know, God was the God of Israel and there was a strong identity, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. This is the God. And, and amongst the people of Israel, there was that growing sense, sometimes a little bit of pride maybe, where it was like, this, he's our God and we'll teach our, to our people about our God. And it'll be lucky if anybody else has catches something. But Paul, having been a, a student of Judaism, having been in the inner circles of learning and understanding in that world that so understood and believed that God was for the people of God, had such a powerful call from God into something that perhaps he felt utterly uncomfortable about going into right at the very beginning. Maybe you feel uncomfortable this evening about something you sense God is doing in you. Maybe what God's got for you is a bit different to what other people think he should be doing. Maybe what God has for you, no one else has done before. But will you step into it with the authority he gives? Paul had a clarity on his calling. When you have a clarity on your calling, it helps you make strong decisions to step in and go after the things of God. If you know what you're about, it makes your yes easier and your no easier because you've got a clarity about this is where I'm going. This is what God's got for me. And so for Paul, his yes was very clear. I'm called to this city. I'm going to go because I want to preach the gospel, the gospel to the Galatians. I want to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Clarity of calling is a really important thing. Are you wrestling it down? Are you wrestling your calling down? Are you beginning to engage with that, the sense that God has got something for you? And to what extent would you say you're walking in it? And of course, authority and calling are linked because as you begin to walk into that calling, in the authority of Jesus, all of that will continue to grow because you begin to see God's work in your life as you step into what he has for you. I want to do you a quick picture one of the little things, we do lots of pictures in Leadership College, partly because I'm visual, visual memory and I can't remember any words at all, so I just do pictures all the time, I'm just drawing all the time. But this is called the Calling Mountain. Next weekend, I'm off with my little daughter, Bethany, and we're going to climb three peaks in the Black Mountains in Wales. Um, she's fundraising for a tear fund, and, um, 
and we're excited about it. It's going to be an adventure. It's going to be a challenge. I'm genuinely not sure we'll make it because it's a long way for little legs, and she's never walked as far as we're going, let alone had to go up the mountain for them. So she's going to try and get to the top of the, the highest peak in southern Britain. So off we go, and our aim is here. And often, in terms of calling, we want to get to a place, you know, we've got a, a direction. We want to go where we can see and understand and perceive. Any of you stood at the top of a mountain, it's like breathtaking. It's like, oh, this is it. This is what we came to do. This is, this is what it was all about. This is why we were climbing the mountain, and now I can see. Everything's clear to me. Everything's clear. And that's how it feels when you're walking in your calling. It feels like, I can see it. I can see it. Not all the time. There are moments when the mist comes in, and you're like, what next? Where do we go? But there's a sense in which we know what we're about, the direction of where we're going, and the call is to get to the top of the mountain. That's what you do when you try and climb a mountain. And so you're aiming for this. Often when we talk about calling, and some of you may be sitting here this evening thinking, do you know, I've got no idea what, what my calling is. I've got no idea. You might be staring at the mountain just thinking, I don't even know where to start. So I'm not even going to start. Don't make that mistake. Begin to pursue calling, and there are a number of ways in which you can do that. If you're climbing a really huge mountain, something like Mount Everest, you have like a base camp. And base camp is kind of up the mountain so far so that you have a chance to head for the summit. Some of you may have seen some of these crazy documentaries or films about Everest. And you get to base camp, which is a climb in itself, but you're there, not because that's where you're going, but that because that's what's going to position you to be able to go for the summit. And sometimes when we're unclear about calling and the mountain is ahead of us and we don't even know which way to start or where we go and we want to check out because it's been a bit difficult and we haven't got the right kit and we don't know exactly how to start, which, where, where to start, what the kit is, all of those things, we're confused. Sometimes we don't even get on the mountain. But you know what? I think God would call all of us to prepare ourselves by getting to base camp. And getting to base camp in this model is all about just doing the common call. The things of the common call. Every single one of us can absolutely know what Jesus has called us to. And you begin that by absolutely going after the common call. Sometimes we think, what's my specific call? Because I don't know the specific call, I don't even try going on the mountain. But God has a common call over all of us to love our neighbor. To worship him. To live a life pursuing him. To care for those who have no voice. There are so many things that are a common call to all of us that as we begin to engage in those things, it's like we climb the mountain to base camp. We position ourselves in such a way that from there, from pursuing the common call, other things begin to come clear. I've, I've seen this several times with people, that as they engage more fully in the common call of God, things begin to emerge about the specific call. Because suddenly, as they do the common call, they suddenly think, oh, my heart is being faster for this. Or I met this person and something came alive in me. And they were just doing the common call of just living out, doing a bit of social action, um, serving in church, being part of, of a community, some of these common call things. And as they began to do those things and press into the common call, certain things came alive in their heart. And suddenly they realized, I think I'm positioned at base camp and I can see that there's a summit, there's something more for me to go in. And as you begin to perceive what is it the call of God has over your life, to be a great teacher, to, to do this, to do that, whatever the things they are, you then begin to make attempts for the summit. And some of those attempts will fail and you have to come back down. And again, at this point, you could think, check out. There's a few failures along the way. I tried to get to this thing and it didn't quite work. And I put on this event and no one turned up. 
I tried to make that charity happen and the commission turned down my application. Whatever the failures are, whatever the things are, it can feel like we're making an attempt for the summit, but we get stopped. And that can sometimes be because we were ill-equipped. We didn't have the training we needed to make it to the top, and so maybe we need to tend to that. And sometimes it can just be a circumstance. It wasn't the right time. The mist came in, and it wasn't the right time. You couldn't carry on, and so you had to go back down. And you can turn to God and say, why did you let that happen? I was trying to get to the thing that I think you're calling me to. And God would whisper back to you, learn from the summit attempts and each time you try that you're going to learn a few more tricks of the trade about how to summit this mountain I'm going to teach you and train you if you stay submitted to me keep walking in my common call and you'll be at base camp and I'm going to use you to do immeasurably more than you could ever think or imagine I think that's how it must have been sometimes for Paul Maybe with these Galatians, he thought, oh, kind of, this was happening, the church was going, and then suddenly it feels like we came down and, guys, you're even coming off base camp. You're going back down here and you're checking out and you're not following the ways that we talked about. Come back here. Who cut in on you? Let's get to base camp and continue to summit because we want to see this church established. I wonder if that might be helpful for some of you. I'll leave it with you. There's so much more to teach into that. But the third and final thing, and finish with this. That Paul asserted in responding to this complex, difficult situation where it's not easy to lead, not easy to influence, where some of you might feel you are right now. He, w- he walked in authority, he walked in calling, and he walked in the character that would fuel his dreams. Some of those failed attempts will be about developing and strengthening your character. Many of you know that your greatest failures were where you learned the most. Many of you will know that where things were harder and difficult, you learned the most about you, about your responses. And for Paul, it was a one long journey of character in many ways. And he would have to work at who he was. If Paul was the kind of character that gave up at the first hurdle, none of the New Testament would have been written, would it? And yet there's something in him of his character that he grew into and that God grew in him. And we just want, I just want to attend to that quickly, to think about how is it that God will grow character in us. We read that bit from Galatians 6, and you can skip forward to it, verse 7. And I just love this whole sense in Paul that he just teaches the church, you know what, like you're going to reap from what you sow. So keep sowing after the things of God. Keep going there, even when it's tough. Even when people have cut in on you. Even when there's a few failures around. Keep going with that. Just keep going. Like I felt God speaking to me about around the charity shops of Exmouth. Just keep going. And sow into that which will bring eternal life by the power of the Spirit. And then he says this beautiful verse that is so powerful, meaningful for me. I'm not going to go into that tonight, but it's been one of my life verses. Do not grow weary in doing good. Do not grow weary in doing good. For at the right time, you'll reap a harvest. And in order to not grow weary in doing good, we need to strengthen and grow in character to become more like Jesus. Because he is our ultimate example of not growing weary and doing good, but going all the way to the cross and beyond. And so it's no surprise that just before that verse that Paul speaks in chapter 6, in chapter 5 of Galatians, we get him talking about the fruits of the Spirit. All of them characteristics. Grow in self-control. Kindness. Joy, peace, love, all of these fruits of the Spirit. Essentially what he's talking about is the characteristics that God wants to grow in you. 
And we can grow in those characteristics in so many ways. One, through focused intent. You could choose a couple of characteristics and become focused on them. You can read about them, hear about them on YouTube, Google something more about them, have them at the forefront of your mind. Psychologists will tell you that will help you to grow in those things because your intent is on them. Have a focused intent. There are other ways of growing it. The Michelangelo effect is uh, another thing that's known about in psychology. It's just a really simple thing in many ways. But that sense in which... Um, uh, it, it comes from Michelangelo carving David, this amazing statue that was just a block of marble and then out comes this incredible statue. And people are like, wow, how did you do that? And it's like, well, I saw it. I saw it when it was just a block of marble. I just saw it and then I chipped away and I chiseled and there it was. But I saw it before. And so the Michelangelo effect, as psychologists would understand, is actually seeing things in people and calling out of them. Seeing something that isn't yet visible, but you know is in there and calling it out. You could become a church that call out character in one another. That call out character in one another. Biblically, that's just encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. Calling out the best. All that psychology can be helpful, but for Paul, the chief way in which our character would grow was by the Spirit of God. And that remains true today. To be so filled with his spirit that the fruit of that spirit might grow the character in you to continue walking in the authority and calling he has for you. To let those fruits grow up within you. Are you full of his spirit? Are you hungry for his spirit? Do you know how desperate for, your, for his spirit you are? Some of you don't know how desperate you are for his spirit because it's so dry you didn't know there could even be more. But there's a desperation in us, a hunger to be filled with his spirit so that he can grow something within us. So the fruit that is born as a result of his spirit living within us may enable us to step into authority and calling that he has for each and every one of us. Back to the tales. I can tell you that after 13 charity shots, I was growing weary. Life can be tiring at times. I was questioning whether God actually was speaking to me or not. So many people just told me it's just not going to happen. This can't go. This is not possible. Laughing in my face, promising things they wouldn't deliver. I was like, this is never going to happen. This whole thing. And I've spent like an hour wasting my time. This has been a total joke of a morning. I was weary, I was questioning. And I remember physically my heart beating fast as I returned to my car and the final charity shop. Because in my heart I was thinking, if I go into this shop and they laugh at me too, I think I'm going to get really knocked and dented in this whole process. And so what's that all about, God? Do you know, I walked into that shop, I walked up to the counter, and I said, there was a man behind this counter, and I said, Quite like not passionately and excited because I'd, that had all kind of ebbed away over the hour. I said, um, do you have any evening tales? Like they cut across here. I know it's totally ridiculous. I'm sure you never get that sort of thing, but I just thought I'd ask. And he just looked at me and his eyes lit up. He goes, do you know, we never have those. And just this morning, somebody's just bought a whole load of stuff in, including... An evening set of tales. I've never seen them ever in a charity shop before. And, and here they are. Here they are. Actually, I'll try them on. 
They didn't have to be a perfect fit, but they were. <laughs> Cut across here, the evening tales. And, um, and I said, can I have them? Can I, not have them, can I buy them? You know, can, I have, can, can I buy those? Can I buy those? And he goes, oh, no, no, you can't. I was like, what? You must be joking. I've done, I've got, I, need to, I need these. I need them for tonight. And he goes, oh, we have a policy. You can't, um, we, we can't sell anything that we've not um, dry, cleaned. And these need dry cleaning. So they're going to have to be dry cleaned before we're allowed to sell them. And I said, well, well can I go and get them dry cleaned for you today? Like, I'll, I'll sort that all out. And he goes, oh, no, no, don't worry. We've got a delivery just going off now. If you'll have to come back in an hour, I'll get them sent off dry cleaned for you and bring them back. So I said, well, that's amazing. Yes, please. Thank you. How much? Five pounds. <laughs> so I get dry cleaned evening tails for five pounds from this charity shop provided, and I turned up to the ball looking the part. <laughs> and I was so thankful to God that day. I know things don't always work out like a perfect story. This one did. But God taught me so much about pursuing him, going after him, choosing to walk in the authority he gives, pursuing a call over my life, and growing in the tenacity, the character that you need to see those things come to pass. And I want to invite you this evening to step into that again. Because if you do, then you will step up to lead. And you'll be leaders of character who influence and transform every sphere of society. And we desperately need that as a church. Because culture is formed not just by the holy huddle in a church, that's really important, but culture is formed by the educators. Culture is formed by those in the media. Culture is formed by, the, by those in politics, by the arts, by the entertainment industry, by business and economy. Culture is formed in all those places. And so we need, in all of those places, distinctively Christian leaders who will stand in the authority God gives them, knowing they're called to be there, however hard and difficult it may be, refusing to grow tired and weary, but continuing to do the good because they're built up by the Spirit in their character to declare and demonstrate the very person of Jesus in that place. So can we pray together that God would commission that and do that right now? Shall we stand?